What's up? We are SFX athletes. Uh, we decided to start this podcast just to talk about things in fitness, athletics. Uh, basically, what's just going on, you know? Oh, yeah. Sam Johnson here is a master fitness instructor <laughs> slash baller. Uh, you know, <laughs> he does it all. I love this man. Uh, I'm going to let him talk about him, though, for a second. Sam, why don't you give us a little... Just to run down real quickly about who you are, what you do, and what you're up to. Uh, I help people get stronger, more explosive, faster for their sport, uh, more athletic. So I work with people anywhere from 10 years old to 70, 80 years old. But I love helping kids specifically get better uh, for their sport. So that's why we thought of SFX athletes to help young athletes become more athletic, uh, but I started the gym uh, Strength Farm in 2015, and been doing it ever since. Just every day, you know, grinding, getting people in, getting people out, stronger than when they came in. That's dope. I love that. Yeah, I've been training with Sam myself for uh, close to three years. Uh, you know, I've learned a lot just from training with him one on one, plus taking classes. I think some of the biggest things that I've learned is just being disciplined um, in my routine, uh, not only when I'm actually training, but also you know when I'm eating and uh, sleeping. So other aspects that go with it, you know, putting the right fuel in the body, putting the right fuel in the mind, and then when in the gym, just kind of with the right mindset to get just the max optimal outcome of every session when I do train. Be honest though, I'm not perfect. You know, I still sometimes I'll have that <laughs> that burrito I probably shouldn't be having or something. But bagels. <laughs> I gave up the bagels, man. No more bagels. <laughs> That's all right. R.I.P. Bagels. bagels. I'm a fiend for bagels, man. I know a lot of people probably are too, man. But a nice warm bagel with some cream cheese, man. That's my jam. But I don't mess with it anymore. Uh, <laughs> I just dream about it now. Sound like an addict. <laughs> Really, it kind of is, though. I mean, food is. We'll probably talk about that, but I think food yeah. is an addiction for a lot of people, especially at a time right now when you got the COVID stuff going on. People are locked in their homes and, like, they're snacking. They're not happy. They're eating everything. Yeah. It's all coming out. Yep. That's but true. before we get into that, I wanted to just maybe have you uh, tell our people, our friends, about uh, where training began for you. You know, I'm guessing it probably started way back, like, Middle school, high school. Yeah. Do you want to start maybe in, in maybe that high school, just kind of what you got into, and then how that led into your uh, your military, your time in the military? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was growing up, I played sports, every sport that I could play: basketball, football, baseball, um, soccer, a little bit. Uh, even ran cross country. But I started to train because I tore my ACL and broke my femur playing football when I was 12 years old. I had never touched a weight before I played football. Um, later on, I learned that was probably a bad mistake, a big mistake. But when I tore my ACL, I had to have surgery, and then I had to, um, I wore a cast on my right leg for my femur uh, fracture. So after that, the physical therapist gave me like three or four exercises to do and um most of it was like at just like an athletic club I did like leg press and knee extension and hamstring curl and then like uh like box step up or something like that but um I started training then and then I got back into sports and uh Wait, I never really sorry so real quick so when, when you had that injury did you say your femur and your mm-hmm. your knee yeah, so <clears throat> playing in a game, I had done a kickoff return, and I stepped out of bounds, and then somebody, like, dove into my knee from the side. And so it, it like, I mean, it instantly, like, I felt it, like, pop. And uh, I tried to get up because I wanted to keep playing, but I couldn't walk. So they had to take me to the hospital. 
and then it turned out to be a torn ACL and a broken femur. Um, and I was 12, so I was like still growing and shit. 12. Yeah. So 12, what, what was that like? Seventh grade? What is that? Eighth grade? Yeah, it was like seventh grade. Okay. Yeah. So from that point on, um, I had to kind of learn how to do everything again. Like I was out for maybe a little over a year and um, I was able to get full range of motion back in my knee, but there was still some like growing pains because I was still I was still growing and uh, played basketball the year and a half later. And I was I was OK, like I was playing well, but um, I still had some pain and like some some uh, swelling. So I got into high school and I was running track as like a freshman or something like that. And we were doing 100 meter repeats and I uh, just felt my hip flexor pop. So I like pulled a, pulled a hip flexor um, in that same side. Um, yeah, so when they rebuilt my ACL, they took part of my hamstring. And uh, so I have a huge chunk missing in my hamstring, in my right leg. Even today, you can see um, there's a part missing. So uh, one thing that they didn't really focus on was rebalancing the strength in my hamstrings, um, which now I understand caused the imbalance in my hip flexor was compensating for my ham lack of hamstring in my right side. So when that happened, it uh, forced me out again. I had another injury. I was like 14 and uh, made it back from that eventually and got sick. I got sick when I was like 15. So I was hospitalized. I lost like 30 pounds body weight. And uh, so like, you know, from 12 to 15, I had a really hard time. Like I was just like, you know, what's going on? But in the hospital, they thought, you know, I was at risk of passing away. So they had to give me um, like prednisone, like steroid to help boost my immune system and help my body kind of build that muscle back up. My dad was in Iraq because he was in the army. So they said it might have had to do with stress over him being at war. But um, I was able to recover, obviously. So, okay. So you get injured in middle school, you get injured in high school, and then you start just getting ill. Mm -hmm. And you got to be hospitalized. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're like 15. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot. I had three younger siblings, um, so they they were able to help me out, take care of me, bring me ice cream when I was laying on the couch. Like my brother Ethan, <laughs> he would bring me ice cream. Um, but Ethan Ethan went on to play uh, football at Notre Dame and then in the NFL. Um, and he was always a, a bigger guy. I was just super wiry, and um, I loved to compete, so I was always pushing myself. But I didn't really understand, you know, how to train or how to eat. So I was just, you know, do whatever I thought was there. Uh, eventually got back to full health, started playing football again my senior year of high school. By this time, my dad was back from Iraq and uh, he had been exposed to chemicals over there. So he was like losing vision and losing his ability to walk. So that was tough to witness, but he wanted me to join the military just like him. Um, even just from when I was a little kid, like we lived in Oklahoma when I was like four and I remember doing that. But, um, but yeah, he was super into the army because of the regimented lifestyle and the discipline and the benefits, obviously with, um, you know, a government job, you're, it's consistent benefits. But, uh, what I learned from actually joining when I was 18 and from his experience on, um, you know, you're you're putting your body at risk too, so right. the risk reward. So when you when you went back to football your senior year, um, how did how did I guess how did you get yourself back to play again? What was what was some of the things that you just had to do from just a health fitness standpoint? Was there anything that you remember that like was kind of a, a game changer for you at that time? I didn't, we didn't train efficiently. We had coaches that did their best. They had us doing routines that they learned coming up, but a lot of it was arms and a lot of it was like curls 
and tricep extensions and leg press. Um, we weren't doing weren't doing that much with our legs, and if it was, it was like quarter squats. Like it wasn't really like. Did that did that type of training that the coaches were doing? Because you and I went to the same high school when I was there. Mm -hmm. and before, before you, they had us doing this routine where it was like, you know, five days a week we were doing a different muscle group, mm -hmm. and it always got to this like this max amount, and then um, the reps would depend on how much you could max that amount. Uh, yeah. From what I remember. What, yeah. What is that like? Was that is that something that started back? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just bodybuilding style, like just doing a lot of reps at light weight, not really doing too much strength or foundational strength work. So bodybuilding helps you, you know, put on muscle, but it's not really that functional where, like, you know, you, if you have big biceps and you're a football player, it doesn't really help you shed blocks or, you know, run through somebody versus if you have powerful glutes and hamstrings and lower back and core, you can pretty much dominate on the field. So doing exercises like deadlifts and um, multi-joint movements pretty much from the ground up is probably the most important thing for younger athletes to develop at an early age. And growing up too, like people thought that lifting weights was gonna stunt your growth, um, but research has refuted that, um, mostly based on the fact that you don't start lifting one rep maxes, you start lifting light weights and kids that are like 12 to 15 should be lifting weights that are like 25% of their body weight to 50% of their body weight. So they're not, if you have a kid that weighs 150 pounds at 15 years old, he's not gonna be lifting 300 pounds. He should be doing, you know, less than 150. Um, and then once they hit that 15 age range, they start getting past puberty and then they can start, um, you know, really pushing heavier weight. Yeah, yeah. you know, you see a lot of that even today, you know, from what I see is a lot of parents and coaches pushing these younger kids um, into a full contact sport um, pretty early, right? Pop Warner football, uh, pre-high school. Um, and then, you know, that I guess a lot of that early play and a lot of that work definitely puts a strain on a, on a growing body. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, even just the fact that basketball kids play 200-plus games a year in the AAU circuit. I mean, you're jumping around every time. Some of the kids that I work with at Strength Farm, they'll come in on, like, a Monday, and they'll tell me, oh, my knees are sore. I'm like, from, from what? Like, what would you do? Well, I played eight games this weekend. I'm like, eight games in a weekend? Like, two days? Yeah, four a day. Pretty standard. I'm like, oh, okay. So if you do the math on that, that's a lot of games in a year. Yeah, that's a lot of impact. I mean, why are they doing that? First of all, why are they running? Why are they running so many games on these young athletes? What is that about? Is it, well, is it about money? Is it about? Well, it, you see it across all youth sports. I mean, you see like soccer teams, soccer clubs, um, baseball, softball. Not so much football, but they they have started to do it a little bit more with football with passing leagues. Um, it's just not very, like, it's not contact. It's a little bit contact, but they're not tackling each other. But really, a lot of coaches have made it known that, like, you know, if they play on this travel team year-round, they're going to get better at their sport. They're going to they're gonna dominate. They're going to be the ones that are going to get the playing time when it comes to the school season. Everybody prioritizes the school season. So, like, for football, it's in the fall. But if you're doing passing league from winter through summer, when do you train? Or if you're a basketball player and you're playing basketball year-round, when, when do you train? Or, like, when does your body recover? When does it rest? And same with soccer. If you're doing club soccer 24-7, when does your body rest? If you're doing volleyball all the time, when do you rest? Because if you look at professional athletes, they have an off-season. They rest. Michael Jordan said that he took a month off of basketball after every season. Didn't even touch a basketball. He was golfing, smoking cigars, which, I, you know, obviously kids yeah, shouldn't he's do. A he he's a good golfer. But <clears throat> mainly the idea was to let his mind and his body recover. So if the best ever is taking a month off of basketball and still he's maintaining his abilities, you know, kids aren't going to lose 
that much by taking time off of playing games. They can still shoot, they can still dribble, work on the fundamentals of their sport, or they can still run routes or they can still do sprints. But what they need to do is get into the weight room because that's what's gonna counteract the effects of breaking down of their body, the breaking down of their body that, ha that occurs in season or when they're playing games or they're competing at a high level. Um, and you know, lifting weights helps build muscle, helps build strength and power and more speed and actually helps make them more athletic, which across the board, doesn't matter which sport, if you get stronger in the deadlift, you get stronger in the hang power clean, you get stronger at push-ups, pull-ups, sled drives, you get better at jumping, change of direction, you're gonna be better at your sport. All those movements translate to every single sport. It doesn't matter what you are. If you're a military athlete, you're a special ops like Navy SEAL, you get a stronger deadlift, you're gonna be more prepared for what you do. And um, I just think people need to understand that. And I, I've seen a lot of parents and kids and coaches reap the benefits of taking time to train. Like a lot of the kids that train are crushing it. Yeah, so taking the time to train, but also too, it sounds like from what I'm hearing you say, it's also the time to recover. Mm -hmm. So in that recovery, you know, if I'm a parent, I got a kid and I got him in uh, summer, their summer sport, they're playing, you know, four to eight games a week. Mm -hmm. um, At least. I mean, that that probably is a little excessive, right? I mean, how is that? I guess what are, what are some of the outside of just right the, the, the risk of injury mm -hmm. being probably the worst outcome? But yeah. What other cons do you see if somebody's if they're just playing their one sport, they're not training? If if a kid is only playing one sport, I mean, they might have regrets later in life, first off, you know, just as a person, like they might want to try football or baseball or something like that. But mostly what training can do is give them a routine. I'm really passionate about helping kids learn technique early from, you know, 12 to 18 years, the formidable years. They're learning in school, they're learning in their sport, whatever. but. If they're learning how to lift weights properly, that'll stay with them for the rest of their life. They'll have tools to use no matter what. So, um, you know, I don't know how many adults I've met that never were taught how to lift correctly. I mean, I wasn't taught coming up. I had to learn through certifications and through experience training with different types of people, but mostly it's practice. And training is a way to practice for sport without the rigorous routine of competing in your sport. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that, man. I, one thing that I've honed in on in training with you um, and the, the programs you have is, and what you, you kind of like hit home with me when you just said that they're learning training that they could take all throughout life. So mm -hmm. even after sport, you know, yeah. maybe, you know, maybe they decide to quit. Maybe they don't make it past college or, but still they have these, these set of tools to continue training to live a healthy, well-balanced life. But the one thing that, I, that I've honed in on in, in doing some of the, in doing the training is that like, I get to know my, my limits mm -hmm. um, and the parts of my body that are, are weak, you know, or that need more attention, rather that be, you know, maybe I'm not uh, flexible enough, maybe my midsection needs more work. I would say that's one of the biggest things I've learned training is just knowing where the areas I really need to improve. Yeah, you know? definitely. And it's a, it's it's like a, a it's a really crazy self awareness of one of oneself just on a, a, a physical but also too on a mental level mm -hmm. you know, when, when you're training. Um, how, how, when you started training or getting more into it, did you did you encounter some of that yourself? Or? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was eighteen, nineteen when I really started training. I was 18 when I joined the military, right out of high school. Um, a, lot of, a lot of my coaches were upset with me that I didn't play college football, because they said I, I should have done that, because that was the skill set that I had. But at home, my dad was drilling it into me that you know football ends at a, at a certain point in time, and you've already torn your ACL and broke your femur when you're 12 years old. Chances are you're gonna have that happen again. So you shouldn't do that. You should go into the military, and that's what I did. So. After doing that, um, just, you know, physical fitness is a huge part of the military, waking up early at 4 a.m., 
um, first thing you do is get dressed and work out usually. So um, got used to that real quick. They force you to do that. But after about a year of doing that, um, it ended up being that I was actually pretty good at it. I think my, my athletic abilities were showing a little bit. So they appointed me as one of the fitness leaders. And um, I learned how to start training other people. And working out after work, we go through like a full work day and I'd lift in the evening. So I would like do all the, all the calisthenics in the morning, like at like 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. or whatever. And then in the evening, come back into the gym, start lifting. So that was really where I started to develop a passion for the balance of strength, conditioning, speed work, um, flexibility, balance, and uh, everything that has to do with human performance. That's dope. Tell me a little bit about just your day. So you wake up, it's 4 a.m., you do the calisthenics, and then you go to work. What What was work like in the military? Initially, it was basic training. And basic training is comprised of like different components. I mean, you have your like initial month where you're just learning the military. You're just learning like military history and shit like that. And then you learn how to shoot and you learn how to do like basic hand-to-hand combat, how to survive, how to eat MREs and all that crap. Then you learn a specific job. My specific job took about a year of training. Um, and it was two, it was like 15 months, but it was like combat, engineering so building roads and airfields and um, buildings in combat zones so you have it's a balance of like understanding how to defend yourself how to take hold of a position and build under duress in a war zone so we learned that that. yeah that was that was my like job in the air force so you'd be like okay we're in a war zone we need a bridge sam yeah get your team together get out here make a bridge yeah, initially I wasn't one of the, the leaders. Um, like I was just, you know, 19, 20. But yeah, as I got older, I learned how to manage others and uh, supervise job sites and all that kind of stuff. But originally it's just learning like what is concrete construction versus asphalt construction? What's a bridge compared to a road? Like how do you build dams? How do you build, you know, all the underground tunnels that need to be for us for a sewage, you know, set up? Um, Sounds like a lot of grunt work. Yeah, just like, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, a just a lot, yeah, just a lot of work, it. yeah. So uh, when I was 20, they told me on a Wednesday that I was going to Afghanistan on a Friday. So I had two days to prepare. Um, but, you know, back then it was like I was so young. I didn't even have that, like, I knew it was a possibility. But once they told me, I was like, all right, you know, let's go. Um, so like a normal day in Afghanistan was very different from a normal day back in the United States. So, um, a day over there was wake up, you know, 5am, 6am or whatever, go to work, work all day. And we did a, a varying degree of projects from extending the airfield or repairing things that got blown up or building roads that went through villages or, or led into the base or repairing fences or, you know, um, demining. Like I did, I demined for like a month. That was kind of shitty. Um, but demine. So you basically, you guys went out there and like, okay, these, these are active mines. We need to locate them and disable them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like the EOD guys would do most of the work, but we had the equipment. So we would dig underground and all that kind of shit. So it was pretty scary. And then you see vehicles that have been blown up and they're like charcoaled on the side of the road or like in the the wrecking yard. So it was scary. But most of what I did during the day was manual labor, like doing a lot of concrete construction and asphalt construction, just hours and hours of first you have to you have to do the groundwork and then you have to lay the concrete. But doing all the forms and all the concrete work. It was crazy. It was like hard work. Yeah, then okay. I would get off work and lift weights. Yeah, then you get off work and train. So yeah. would you just go to the gym? And, would you be training other people at that time or were you just training no. for yourself? Yeah, I would train with a group of guys. Like uh, there was like six or seven that I would work out with. And a lot of times it was people that I worked with or, um, you know, there were some guys that we met in the gym that were 
um, they were like operators. They'd go out at night and like hunt bad guys. So their job was a little bit different than you know ours, obviously. But their training was a lot more intense. Like my youngest brother, he's really not that young compared to me. He's three years younger than me. So I have Ethan, who's a year and a half younger, and then Paul, who's three years younger. And then my sister Candace is four years, five years younger than me. But Paul went into the Marines, um, and he's he's like one of those special ops guys. So they go through like two years of initial training. So just like working out with those guys, they taught me how to push through pain and um, discomfort and how to get stronger, like how to do like deadlifts and how to do squats and pull-ups and dips like at a really intense level. So I learned how to, you know, basically like powerlifting. Like I started getting into powerlifting. But we lift like an hour or two and then eat. I'd start, I started studying and reading a lot and then just try to get some sleep and then do it again. Wow. And you did that for like four years about or longer? That was about on and off for about a year and a half. And then I was back in Washington. I did um, honor guard. So I'd do funeral services when I was like 23, 24. And by this time I was a staff sergeant, so I was, you know, in my job, I was more of a supervisor. Doing honor guard, I did 153 funerals in a year. So that was pretty heavy. But what I learned in Afghanistan is that life's short and you just gotta do what you really are passionate about. You can't waste time. You know, every day is a blessing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it it was more like what I saw in others, but then also what I felt like when you go through a stressful situation or you have whatever going on in your life and you can turn to training as an outlet, it's a positive outlet. So you can take any kind of negative energy that you might have or any kind of frustration with life or stress or anxiety or, you know, whatever and train as long as you have a solid routine and you're disciplined about it, um, it'll help you take out a lot of that negative uh, and uh, put back positive energy into yourself and into the world so that um, you know, you're not bottling up that negative shit inside you. But um, yeah, I wanted to share that with others. So that's why I really got into training and I started doing different certifications and um, competing in CrossFit and weightlifting and uh really just did that because i was like searching for something that you know was fulfilling that like outlet so it sounds like you know i, I remember when crossfit really started to well, i remember when it kind of first started out and then it, it just peaked mm-hmm. um, and then it was everywhere so you were pretty much ramping up you were already in pretty good shape so you you were doing crossfit yeah uh i started doing that real hard in like 2011 2012 my dad passed away from the degenerative uh, condition that he contracted in iraq when i was 23 so i was 2012 and uh, i just remember i worked out really really hard on that day and that was kind of the beginning of where i really understood like what i what i wanted to do in life because what what that what that showed me was that you can go through life doing stuff because of the benefits and you know all this stuff and it can still get you you know and and it worked for him for me I was more looking for a way to get back to the community that I grew up in I felt passionate about the fact that I had I still have knee pain you know like running 10 15 miles at a time I, my knee my right knee would start bothering me and so I was, I was like researching why this was going on. And uh, so I, the stronger I got, the less knee pain I had. And um, I just figured that was something to take note of. And then um, I wanted to get back into helping, especially kids of that age group of 12 to 18, because I felt like those formidable, formidable years can be spent training and getting stronger. And it will help them develop athletically a lot faster than you know what waiting until you're 18 to touch a weight well and also too probably avoid what you went through yeah yeah so if you can avoid if you can avoid those injuries at an early age and stay healthy and fit that allows you to continue to grow in your sport and move on into college right 
Yeah. College uh, teams that are recruiting athletes, they don't want athletes that are broken or have health issues. Or no. Issues, right? so that's no, yeah. Getting, getting injured between 12 and 15 probably reduces your chance of scholarship dramatically. But uh, since we've had the gym like four or five years ago started, since then we've seen about 75% of the kids that we've worked with um, get some type of scholarship for their sport, uh, which is a really high number. But I think it's just because of that. Like they start strength training at an early age, they develop discipline, and then it shows in their sport. Yeah, man. misnomer of like when you're injured you stop you wait until you recover before you do any activity or movement as it relates so maybe you could just tell people a little bit about that kind of like your the strategy about getting injured and continue to train what you can do to like get through that yeah when you when you're injured um or hurt you you know maybe usually it's centrally located you know it's a it's a part of your body that's not affecting like if your leg is hurt it doesn't affect your arms that much you can still train with your core and your upper body um, or vice versa if you hurt your shoulder you can still do legs a lot of times people get discouraged because they get hurt um, and usually just means they have to go harder they just have to get back to it and do what they can because if you're always staying on it you're never going to lose that drive the worst thing you can do is give up. Yeah, yeah, I love that, man. You know, I've, I've had a couple injuries uh, from just playing pickup basketball. It seems where I usually get injured is playing some stupid pickup game at the at the gym. Pickup's kind of tough, man. Yeah. But you know, I noticed when I sprained my rotator cuff, you're like, hey, we can keep training, and and it was good that we actually trained through that and we continued to to improve and grow. And like for me, that was like you know, that was a little bit of a wake up call. Yeah. To the routine piece is really important. Yeah. You know, just be, being routine and not getting out of your routine. Yeah. Once staying you on it. That, you basically have to start over, mm-hmm. which is in itself a whole process. From yeah. Yeah, it sucks. Have you seen some of that through some of the kids that that have been injured that have continued to train with you at the gym, uh, go through injury and then come in and and work work through some of that? Um, honestly, minor injuries. Yeah. Some, some injuries occur. And a lot of times, honestly, they have the opposite problem. They, they want to play their sport still. So they still do. And it kind of like nags at their, like if it's a knee injury, like an overuse injury, like, um, you know, tendonitis or, um, just some sort of inflammation, um, or any kind of like meniscus issue or or partially torn ligament or anything like that they want to keep playing instead of taking time off and training which like also people get training and competing mixed up training is in a controlled environment very much like like when you have a trainer or a coach they can they can design a workout like i like to design workout plans that require about 70 to 80 percent of what the athlete can put out on a given day. Like if they're if they're going 70, 80%, that's good. You want that because you want to leave with energy to recover and then the next day come back, same thing. If you put in about 70, 80% of your body's full capacity each time you train, you're gonna continue to recover and get better versus going 100% and then you come in the next day, you can only get 50. And then the next day you give 60. And the next day you give 70. Then you go 100%, and then it's back to 50, you know. So if you stay 70, 80 that whole time, you're going to make way more progress compared to the person that's up here, then down, then up here. They're going to make, like, maybe 60 to 70% versus 70 to 80% progress. Um, So it's just a different mindset. But in the sport, if you're just always going and you're never taking time to recover, that's the same concept. You're always trying to go 100%, but your body can't even give 100% because it's tired, it's worn down. So it's just something that people need to understand a little bit more. But mostly I've seen that it's a lot of the sports coaches that need, they need 
to understand that the human body, especially the youth body, like the young adolescent body, needs time off to grow and recover. Growing, everybody knows growing happens while you're asleep or while you're resting. It doesn't happen while you're sprinting around all the time. Right. So, you know, all these things, they, they all are, are interrelated. Like everything from how a kid eats, how they sleep, uh, how well they focus, how well they train, how well they compete. That's all interrelated. So if a kid's having issues in one of those areas, it's going to affect the other ones. In the training programs that you have built and created through your years of personal training, um, what, are, what are some of the things that you feel like your system focuses on now? And I know you've trained a lot of athletes various ages. Mm-hmm. And your focus is really training uh, youth athletes. Um, but what it, tell us a little bit about the system in itself and just how it, how an athlete will start and go through it and what you're really focused on helping them understand. Yeah, the most important is their movement quality. So just beginning with body weight movements, understanding, you know, where their body is in space, like kinesthetic awareness of just like, you know, when you're doing an overhead squat with a PVC pipe overhead or you're doing a push-up or a plank, just understanding spacing of where your feet should be, how your toes should face, if you, if you got one foot facing one way and the other foot facing the other way, and you're trying to do a squat, it's not going to work. So you got to have both feet aligned with your hips and your knees and your ankles. And just getting everything in line, making sure that all their um, connective tissue is, is operating well. And their hips are solid. Their core is solid. Uh, they, can, they have full range of motion in their shoulder joints. Um, they can hold a plank for a minute or two. They have core strength, endurance. Uh, so before I start actually loading their bodies, I start, I start them with drills that um, are going to develop those things. And then... Is that also informing you just like where they are as mm-hmm. far as like... So are you looking at like balance? Yeah. Uh, kind of like their load capacity? Yeah, their coordination. Their coordination. Just how well, like if a kid's 12 or 13, usually that's when they'll start with me. And some kids... It's an interesting thing because some kids are very aware of their bodies and then some kids aren't. So you have to understand what movements you can give them versus somebody who might be a little bit further along in their development. But for the most part, 13-year-old kids, they need to not be lifting very heavy. So they need to be working on body weight squats, light body weight jumps, um, meaning no added weight. Maybe even not even jumping on a box, just doing a squat and then jumping at the top and learning how to land softly. And then from there, laterally, how they move laterally, how they can, we have this um, band walk that I have every kid learn. So they do like the inchworm, which is mostly hamstrings and lower back and core. And then the banded walk, which will show me how well they can control from their feet up through their ankles, up through their knees and their hips. So center of gravity. Yeah. Center of gravity, hand-eye coordination, balance. Mm -hmm. Yep. So taking an athlete that's 12, 13, or maybe even older, but have never trained before, um, just developing those ground-up coordination, like like skills, Um, and then start adding a little bit of unilateral training, you know, like lunges or step-ups, bench press with dumbbells, where they're just doing like one arm at a time to try and balance them out because uh, most of the time kids aren't doing push-ups parents don't have kids do push-ups and or coaches don't have kids do push-ups why is you know why is the uni, unilateral piece important if you are a kid that is right hand dominant and you're so used to using your right side your right side might be a lot stronger than your left side you might never even touch your left side hardly ever unless you're using it for a controller on a on a xbox or whatever <laughs> nice. but but like you know you got to balance it out so before they start doing push-ups where they're using mostly that right side and their left side is not doing shit um we have them use dumbbells to try and balance out so when they can do the same amount of reps with their non-dominant side as their dominant side then they're ready to start doing bilateral movements which means both sides at once so they could do a barbell bench or they could do push-ups 
um, those type of movements. With the athletes that come in, one side is stronger than the other? I would say it's more common in rotational sports like baseball or softball uh, or like tennis or golf. So they're used to using my one side only. But uh, basketball, a little bit. Football, not so much. Tennis, yeah, definitely. Um, but, yeah, so it has to do more of, like, w what they're used to using most of the time. And then, so, I mean, this seems to make sense, but if one side is lesser than the other as far as strength goes, right, that's mm -hmm. when the door is open for injury? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that, that's uh, one of the ways that athletes can become injury-prone is they overdevelop on one side or they overdevelop or underdevelop on one side. So it's, you know, it's just one of those things where training creates more balance. So that's, that's what we want. We want to focus on balance. We want to focus on foundational strength. Foundational strength means, you know, um, getting a kid to be able to pick their body weight up off the floor for like five reps, you know, doing a deadlift for five reps with their body weight by the time they're 15. When a kid can do that, typically, I mean, like 99% of the time, they're moving in a way that is balanced, straight up and down. And then, um, you know, getting them to be able to jump up on a box and land soft rather than jump up and just like kind of land wonky and weird, you know. Um, however, they would just naturally do it, which isn't a bad thing. It's not like the worst thing for kids to just like jump around and play. But with training, you want to teach them control and balance and strength first because that builds a foundation for um, durability so so less injury prone but it also just helps build a little bit more explosiveness in their body so they're getting used to moving external objects that are heavier than their body um, starting at like 5 to 25 percent of their body weight 25 to 50 percent of their body weight 50 to 100 percent of their body weight once they start moving their body weight, um, typically around age 15, usually they have a 20 plus vertical jump. They can jump their height in distance, meaning their broad jump. And they usually are around three to four minutes in their planks. So those are all things that we like to test is, you know, how much they deadlift, how much they plank, how, how long they plank, how far they broad jump, what's their vertical jump, how, how far they can throw a 10 pound med ball, all these type of things are they they give us data on the athletes and uh just over time you know working with all these different athletes i've kind of narrowed it down to the most effective way to test athletes is the plank for time and the broad jump so let's, that's that's interesting so the plank we'll start with that one so how when when you're measuring Yeah. What, what, is that, what is that information? What are you getting from that when you're seeing them do that? Well, it really, if you set them up correctly and you show them correctly, it'll show you how well they can maintain that tightness through their body because it's, it's from their toe to their head. And they're in a push-up position, so their arms are straight. So if the first thing to fail is their lower back, they got a weaker core than their legs and their arms. First thing to fail is their arms. Their arms are obviously weaker. If their legs are shaky, you know, obviously, it's their legs. So you can look at these different segments of their body and kind of see some kids are arching their lower back super early, and we stop them at that point because we don't want them to hurt their back by straining it. But it just it just tells a lot from, you know, where they're at. Um, if they hit a minute with everything solid, then that's great. That's a great first goal. Uh, and then they fail at like maybe a minute 15 or so. Then we want to shoot for that two, three, four, five minute plank. Typically, there's a direct correlation between the athletes that can plank for four to five minutes and how well they do on all the movements. So it's, it's just, you know, it, it full body test. It's one of the best things to test your full body strength and endurance. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I love it. Solid. I've learned just on the plank hold, the 
one outside of just form and keeping your core tight mm-hmm. and not letting your back uh, slouch uh, was once you get past like you had told me like once you get past that three minute mark it really starts becoming a mental game mm-hmm. of keeping uh, that de- you know yeah that well that, yeah that's that's the hidden component that we like to we like to play games within training so we'll make every kid you know it's just part of our warm up every day doing a plank at the end we'll get them all together and have them plank and usually you know just because like i said you don't want to go 100 percent all the time so we usually just throw like a two minute plank out there and see who can hit it on the regular and usually it turns into a competition so they want to beat the kid next to them or at least they you know want to hit two minutes just like the other kids um so the mental side of everything in training without kids really knowing what they're doing or understanding like you know there's a lot of intrinsic um hurdles that we place in front of them for them to kind of like little tests to see how well they deal with stress and and uh discomfort and pain and competition Um, because like to me that's the midget shit straight up like low-key yeah i mean okay so you they just did an hour workout they went through the training session which in itself is exhausting and then the last bit which is which seems pretty hey you gotta hold a two-minute plate this mm-hmm. is pretty easy, right? Yeah, you think? It's not easy. It's simple. Yeah. It's simple. I mean, I you know, a lot of shit is very simple that that we do, but it's designed in a way that makes it not easy. So, right. it's effective. Very effective. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the other thing is the broad jump. The broad jump tests your strength and your speed. So, explosive power in sports is probably the one thing that will separate one athlete from the rest so if you had if you have two athletes everything you know all the same all things are just equal um you know let's take like a six foot 160 pound guard that's 15 years old one of them trains one of them doesn't train one of them has a sick jump shot the other one not so sick jump shot but the one that doesn't train has the sick jump shot because all he does is shoot. All he does is play basketball. And the other one is in the gym, training, getting stronger. He's got, you know, decent basketball skills. When they both get into high school and they go try out for varsity, the one with a really good jump shot can't rebound. He can't play defense because he's so, so much weaker than the 18-year-old, 17 and 18-year-olds. You take the 15-year-old that can rebound, play defense, shoot okay, dribble well, um, pass okay, but his jump shot isn't shit compared to the other dude. But he makes varsity because his physicality is actually ready for varsity. He's strong, he's powerful, and he can jump. Well, especially, too, in basketball, right? I mean, conditioning. Right? Yeah. So he's been training in conditioning where mm-hmm. that athlete or, the, you know, he or her can go yeah i mean that has to do with it too but but all things equal um the one differentiator in athletics is uh, is explosive strength and power and the ability to express force quickly so athletes like lebron or zion williamson they're they're naturally very powerful but if you take a kid that isn't naturally powerful you make them stronger from the ground up. So you increase their deadlift, you increase how far they can throw a med ball, how high they can jump, how far they can jump. And they're gonna express that in their sport by how well they play defense, how well they rebound, how well they change direction. So in football, it's like, you know, if they're a running back, how well they drive into a linebacker and run them over to score a touchdown or how quickly they evade a safety at that third level so that they can break free for a touchdown or um, you know, a receiver, how well they can run their routes and then break tackles as they catch the ball. So there are all these different things that are affected by explosive power. So do kids come in, outside of just seeing their, their physical ability in their first couple of days or week, do you just run them on those tests the first thing, so broad jump? Not usually. Not usually? No. No, it, there's, there's some growing pains that kids have to go through initially they have to learn kind of the basics of like i was saying like learning how to crawl learning how to walk learning how to jump change direction run before we just have them
test. So, so you don't just test them as soon as they come to the door? I think it's good to, to test certain things, like a plank would be great to test. Right. Um, a broad jump would be great to test, but I don't have them test their like lifts. Gotcha. You know, so we're not, we're not testing their deadlift. <laughs> The vertical jump. Vertical jump is very technical. Uh, the broad jump is a lot more simple. So um, vertical jump, I've seen, you know, you would think like, yeah, it's not that bad. It's like just jumping straight up. Some kids don't know how to translate their force vertically. They're used to running and sprinting for the most part. So they can do the broad jump at a more effective rate. So they can, they can actually express what their potential like actual potential is in a broad jump versus a vertical jump more easily. So most kids can't jump as high as they can with just a vertical jump. They probably need to do a run and jump. Um, but with the broad jump, they can just jump straight out and land most of them pretty well. So yeah, it's just different things that we've tested over time. So when a, when a kid starts doing the system, When, when do they start seeing results? Is that something that happens immediately? Or is it, you know, six months, year? No, they, they, see, they see results in the first month. They see results in the first month. If they're doing the training three to four times a week and they're consistently, you know, putting in that 70 to 80% effort of, like, they're not, like, smoked after each workout doing extra because the workouts are already designed to be taxing, but not debilitating. So athletes do what they're supposed to do. They're not doing a bunch of extra shit. Um, they're going to see progress because their body's going to recover. Do you think three to four times uh, a week is good, or should there be more? Yeah, I think it's great. I think four, four is the magic number from what I've seen. Yeah. What about some of those athletes that are training two times a day? Two times a day, four times a week. Uh, four days a week. Four days a week. Uh, you know, it just depends. It depends on where they're at in their development. If they're 18, they're trying to get ready to go play D1. I would say just be smart. You know, do your speed work in the morning. Do your strength work in the evening. So. Switch it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You just gotta be smart. I mean, there's there's different ways to periodize training. Uh, but usually when athletes become more developed, that's where you want to throw extra on them. Um, but for the most part, from ages 12 to 18, one training session four, four times a week, one, one a day, four times a week, four days a week will be perfect. What's some of the things that you see with the new athletes that come in like it's just universal? You're like, man, you know, I've seen this before. I'd say it's it's different based on what sports they play, but for the most part, not understanding how to pick things up, like like not understanding how to do a deadlift, it's probably number one. Um, valgus knee, where their knees kind of like knock when they run. Uh, that's very common in like young basketball players or young soccer players, female especially. Um, so yeah, I just hope, you know, younger athletes, whether female or male, they just, you know, that their coaches start learning how to teach strength training to them. Because, um, you know, that's, that's really another part of what we're trying to do with our online platform is teach sports coaches how to incorporate some of those movements that we do in our warmups and our routines in their practices because if they can do that as a minimum like if they if they spent 20 to 30 minutes of their hour to hour and a half practice two or three maybe four times a week um they can help counteract some of those issues that we were talking about as far as injuries so like if you have a basketball coach and he's never trained anybody in a gym for strength training but he takes our system and learns through our process uh, and applies that to his team. I believe that his team is going to win more games. They're going to be less injury prone and the kids are going to have more of an opportunity at the next level and they'll have more potential. That's 
So for coaches and parents that are looking to maybe improve their their child's ability or their athletic qualities, mm-hmm. I guess what are some like basic things they could do just start now at home? Is there like if you were to give them one one thing that they could start now doing, what would it be? Yeah, the plank. The plank is the number one thing. I mean, it, you know, if you're gonna do one thing, it's the plank. That'll get you stronger every day. Plank a minute to two minutes a day, you'll get stronger mentally and physically. Because mental matters just as much, if not more, than physical. Do you see that a lot with the athletes? With the mental side? They're tougher? Yeah, do you see Oh, yeah. They're tough. These, These kids get tough, for sure. And you can see it when kids first come in. They'll be planking during the warm-up, and the kids that are, you know, they've been there for a while, or they've been training, they got their head down. They're not even looking at the clock. They're not really shaking. They're just chilling. Just, you know, it's not easy for them. They've just gotten used to the pain. And the kid next to them is freaking out, like, <laughs> arching their back, you know, all this stuff, like, looking around, freaking out. It's like 30 seconds in. It's like, chill out, dude. Just <laughs> sit there, you know. But at the same time, that's what yeah that's what helps create that competitor in them they need to see somebody else doing it so that they can be driven to do it themselves but they have to also understand that that's the only way that that other person got it is by doing it they don't they don't just show up and you know nobody nobody just really shows up and is able to do you know a five minute plank perfectly unless they've been training so we don't expect greatness right off the bat <laughs> yeah no, it's, 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 it's interesting man because I know before training with you I thought the plank hold was a joke really yeah I'm like what is this like, you know I'm like why why are people just standing or you know laying on their knees and yeah you know holding this weird position I'm like what is this like yeah you know? but then going through it and doing it and, and you know working into the routine I realized this is this is much harder than oh, yeah. up, uh, 220 on the bench press. Much harder uh, than you know um, just lifting some weights because mm-hmm. uh, you have to stay. You got to hold it. You know. Yeah. Um, and I know that when at the longer I can hold it, the more strength I'm building, which in turn, I guess, is where that endurance comes into play mm-hmm. and the conditioning. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's conditioning their bodies to be able to handle more later on. So if you start. You start, uh, Louis Simmons from Westside Barbell, he talks about training as a pyramid. The wider the base, the higher the peak. So you build a wide base in kids, the more potential they have. And that's basically what our program is. We're, there's four pillars to it. There's strength, there's speed, there's conditioning, there's mobility. So you take all four of those, you create a program that builds the best athletes with a wide base, and then they have the potential to be great. And it's up to them, obviously. Yeah. They got to put in the effort, but the tools will be there. And then for coaches, they will be able to take our system and apply it to any kid, um, which is exciting for me because I feel like, um, you know, going back to growing up, that was what was kind of missing is a structured program that actually scientifically makes sense and is proven to get results. You got kids that, have gained six to 12 inches on their, their broad jump within six to 12 months, you know? And then, That's huge. yeah, we got a kid, Tucker. Shout out to Tucker. He, uh, <laughs> he's 6'10", and he came in at 225 or 220, something like that. And within a year, he's at 255. He had no, he had no looks for college in his junior year, or maybe he had a few, but um, no real serious offers. And a, and a year later, he's scoring 30 points in a game, 33 rebounds. What? Yeah, he's one of the better players in the state now. 33 rebounds in a game? Yeah. This dude is just an army of one. Oh, yeah. He went, he went up against the top-rated basketball team in the state this year. He had 30-something points. Oh, just scored. like 15 rebounds. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Getting blocked shots, you know. Um, and he's still, you know, he's still getting better. Like, he's still training. Listen, he's only a... Yeah, he's only a year into training because he started when he was 16 and a half, something like that. Um, and then we got another kid, Dylan. 
and then another kid, Chili, who they started when they were 12, and both of them can dunk, and they're, they're only like six feet. Um, but one of them plays football mostly. Well, one plays football and basketball, but in, he was playing varsity running back as a freshman, and he was running people over in the playoffs. <laughs> as a freshman? As a freshman, yeah. Wow. And he deadlifts for something. And he's like 185, like 5'10". How long 5'10", has he been training with you? Since he was 12, oh, so okay. like three years. Yeah, but he started at 12. But he didn't start deadlifting for something. He's one of those shaky kids in the beginning. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So he's real, real quiet, real focused. Mm-hmm. But when he gets out in, you know, basketball or football, he's just, you know, silent and deadly. Straight and then the, the Dylan dude, he's, he's been super consistent. He's basketball. And he's an eighth grader, and he's he started when he was 12, and he's like 14, 15 now. And he just reached up and touched 11 foot one on a run and jump, 37 inches reactive jump, 30, 31 inch uh, vertical jump, and a 9, 10 broad jump. And he's 6'1", like 160, something like that. That's high, man. That's, that's yeah. definitely above the rim. Mm-hmm. Like. And he's deadlifting three-something. Yeah, there's a direct correlation between force output and explosiveness. Oh, man, I love it.